Saying yes and saying no to what really matters can make all the difference, but often the yes and the no aren't exactly clear. I believe God is in the yeses as much as he's in the noes, and that spending time with God to hear his guidance is as important as the answer itself. That's today on the podcast. Hey, this is Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thanks so much for listening into our Tower Hill podcast. Wherever you may be listening, we hope this podcast blesses you and feel free to share it with someone that you know. Making decisions is a part of our everyday life and some decisions can really change the outcome of an event. I think we always want to do the right decision every time, but sometimes inevitably ugh, we feel regret. Little things and big things. Ah, should have done this, could have done that. Today, Pastor Jason talks about how we can know what to say, when to say it, how to give, how to serve, and how to hear God's direction for us. Let's check it out right now. Man, if that doesn't capture my life right now, (laughs) I'm sure it captures yours as well. It's a crazy time, especially, you know, if you have kids that are school age, this is the time where everything just goes And your whole life is just a massive reaction to everything else. But we're talking about, I think, some really important things. Uh, It's always great to be reminded of how do we, how do we make good time? How do we say yes to the things we're supposed to that God has for us? And how do we make sure that we don't say yes to everything? Because that's our problem. We all, we want to please, we want to be involved, we want to do the right thing. And sometimes, though, we say yes to so many things that we're just absolutely paralyzed uh, and we wonder why we can't listen to God clearly. It's because we've got a head full of other stuff going on. So hopefully this series is helping us. And I always say, whenever I give a sermon, I don't know what other pastors do, but it's, it's a sermon for me, and then I share it for you. <laughs> I can't claim to have all of this absolutely figured out. I'm trying my best to live into it, and I encourage you to do that too. So uh, making good time, we, we've been saying that if God had a love language, we believe God's love language is time spent. Why? Because relationships require time. Every single relationship you ever had requires time together. You're either growing closer or you're growing apart. And a lot of people, they struggle because they're like, I don't know why. I feel like God's not close to me. I feel like I, I don't know where God is. I can't listen to him. And, and then you ask questions like, well, are you, are you praying? Are you Reading the scripture, are you hanging out with other Christians? Are you, well, no, I'm not doing any of that. Well, yeah, that's kind of going to happen. You're going to feel far apart because you're not engaging in that time spent with God. And that's not meant to like guilt you. It's just meant to say like that's just kind of a fact. Relationships require time. So we have to be talking with God if we expect to hear something back. Here's the next question, though, because, I mean, listen, we squeeze God out all the time because we say yes to a lot of good things and not necessarily the right thing. But here's a question, because I think this is really important. How do you know the difference? Right? You're like, okay, yeah, great, Pastor, I'm all in. But when I look at all the things, all the opportunities that I have, the good things and the right things look like the same things. Like, I don't know. How to tell the difference. How do I know the difference between a good thing and the right thing? Because on the surface, they look kind of, sort of the same. I'll give you an example where we've all experienced this at one point in our lives. The homeless person in the city, right? The homeless person in the city. 
Yeah, not that one yet. The, whole, <laughs> the homeless person in the city who's asking for money. We've all had this like major crisis. At some point, we're thinking, I really, should I help this person? Should I give them money? But then we have that other thought like, don't make eye contact. Don't look at them. It's, it's all a scam. They want to get cigarettes and beer. Like that's, like we have this dichotomy. And then sometimes we do it and we feel good. Sometimes we do it and we feel like, ooh, I don't think that was right. Other, other times we don't and we feel like, yes, that was the right thing. Other times we don't and we feel like, well, I think I blew it. I think I was supposed to give that person. How do we know the difference? That's what we're talking about today. How do you tell the difference? How do you know? And what are the things that God asks of us does God have a fingerprint on the way that he asks us to do things? I believe he does, by the way. And each, and each and every one of us is going to look different in your life. God has a particular way of asking you where you know that it's God. It's just tuning into that. Tuning into that part of you that already knows that something's from God. All right, we'll talk about that in a minute. First, let's talk about more important matters. Let's say you're hosting a Super Bowl party. And you are so excited to host this party. Now, listen, if you don't like the NFL, just work with me here. Pretend like you love it, and this is a big moment for you, okay? It'll work. Just hang in there. Let's say you're throwing a Super Bowl party, and you are so excited for this party, you're like, you know what, that's why we bought this house, because I wanted to host a Super Bowl party. And when we were looking with the real estate agent, we saw, I want open floor plan. I want a big space. We're doing a party here. It's finally going to happen. You lived in the house for 18 years. You never had a Super Bowl party. But now, now you're going to have the Super Bowl party. So much so, the previous summer, you buy a new TV. Because you're like, this is the year. This is the year we're doing a Super Bowl party. You circle it on the calendar. You start thinking through it, and you're like, you know what? We need a new couch, honey. This, I can't have people over on this thing. You get a new couch. Place looks fantastic. You're ready. You're party ready. And then you start getting really excited. You're like, all right. We think about the menu here. What do we got going on? We can do some wings. Maybe we'll do some sliders. Maybe some pulled pork. I don't know. I don't know. Might get kind of crazy. You work on this whole thing, and you plan, and you got it circled, and then you start sending out the invitations that you spent way too much time on. You send them out. You're excited. All your friends RSVP'd. Yes, we're coming. Can't wait. Finally, you're inviting us over. So you're in preparation for this event. You do the shopping the week before. You got a little excitement in your step. Going through Whole Foods. You go, I don't mind. I don't mind throwing this money around. Because you know what? I'm excited for this party. Nothing but the best. So you get everything ready, and on the invitation, you're like, 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock sharp. Everybody, let's go, 8 o'clock sharp. Party's starting, can't wait to see you here. And you're there, you look at your watch, it's 6 o'clock, you're getting everything ready. Like, all right, you're starting, your wing has got to go in the oven. You have it timed in your head, and you know how this is going to unfold in your head. You have it all figured out, because you're so excited for it. Then you hear the doorbell ring. And you go, and it's... Four of your friends who were invited to the party are there at 6 o'clock. You're like, hey! Oh, yeah. You know, the satellite went down, and we wanted to catch the end of The Bachelor. Wow, not a laugh. Not a laugh. <laughs> not one. Wow, that was like, I, either that was too close to home, or you're like, what? You lost me. <laughs> so, 
There's something for everybody. Okay. So, <laughs> can we please watch The Bachelor? We, we can't watch it. Just, you know, we're going to come in a little early. Now, you're thinking to yourself, but wait, it's not time. I have it all figured out. I got this plan in my head. It's not time yet. But then what do you do? You're not going to tell him that. Excuse me. I'm very sorry, but you're early. You need to, like, circle the block for a while. I'm not ready, right? You're not going to do that to your friends. Why? Because you love them. You're like, yes, of course, come on in. And you're thinking to yourself, well, it's not really what I had planned, but I'm sure it'll be wonderful. And you kind of go with it because you love them. I want you to take this idea, this scenario, and I want you to transplant it into the story I'm going to tell you next about a time with Jesus. Jesus arrives at a party. Let's jump into John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Okay, what do we know so far? Jesus, he already has disciples. He's there. He'd been, he and the disciples had all been invited. And his mother, Mary, had been invited. So obviously they knew the person who was getting married. When the wine was gone, uh oh uh oh When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, oddly enough, this says a lot about the situation. So first of all, why, you know, why would she bring that to Jesus? That Mary, it seemed, was uh, in the back room, that she was part of the preparations. Otherwise, she wouldn't have known that information. Somehow, she had a role in this wedding that was a little bit beyond being a guest. And so she responds like, "Uh uh-oh, we have no more wine. And she tells Jesus this. They have no more wine. Why was this a big deal? This would have been a major embarrassment to the family to have run out. It meant that they were out of money as well because they couldn't get more wine. It's like they could just go down to Bottle King anyway. I mean, like, they, it was a thing. And they would have been really, really embarrassed. So we'll talk about that in a minute. This is Jesus' response. Woman, why do you involve me? Now, hang on. Before you get crazy, Jesus was not being, like, sassy. Right? Woman, why do you involve me? What is... I'm... What is that about? Like, it's not that. That's not... That's not how he meant it. It's a little different in our day. This was actually a sign of, it was like a polite way of addressing her. So uh, we read into it our own stuff. So, woman, why do you involve me? Interestingly, this is a a Jewish idiom, which uh, literally translates, it was like a saying that said, what is it to you and to me? In other words, we're out of wine. What do you, and you know, Jesus is like, what do you mean we? Like, why is this our thing? Why do why does it matter? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. But wait, it's not time yet. Jesus' ministry was yet to launch as far as his delivering signs for people to know the glory of God. 
That was, that Jesus' plan was not to go into this wedding and do that there. It's not time yet. This is early. Why are you asking me? His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. I find it really fascinating for those, I mean, we know how this story goes. I find something incredibly powerful about the fact that he transformed the water that was used for cleansing and purification, that that became wine. I see a communion, I see Jesus' last supper all over this. That the wine of sanctification, the wine of purification, the blood of Jesus Christ out of the ceremonial water cleansing jugs. They filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. Hashtag life hack. That's great. It's great advice. Great advice. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I'm going to say something and you might at first think, that doesn't sound right. Look into it yourself. This first miracle was not in Jesus' plan. And you might think, well, wait a minute. It's Jesus. He knew everything. I think we uh, oversimplify the duality of Jesus, that he was both human and God. And we think, on, we think it just all must have come together and must have been really perfectly clear in his head. I don't think so. That's my personal opinion. To me, it looks like when I read Scripture, so I challenge you, read Scripture, see what you think. When I read scripture, I find God's plan, the Father's plan, unfolding in Jesus' life over time, like it does for all of us. The difference was he didn't sin along the way. He was the only one who listened perfectly. But he was still human. He still had challenges. He still had questions. He still had some uncertainty. But that's what made Jesus such an example, not only because he was the Son of God, but he showed us how how to live as humans. This is what it looks like to perfectly listen through all the stuff of life. He was preparing his whole life for the right time, for the big unveiling of who he was and what he came here to do. And the the wedding wasn't the place where he was going to do that. So why did he do it? Out of love. Out of respect for his mom, for the family, so they wouldn't be embarrassed. Let's share a little bit more about what this would have been like. So these weddings back then, I mean, they could last up to seven days. You talk about expensive. I don't know what that is per plate, right? That's a lot. 
And to run out of the wine, that would have been a major embarrassment. It would have said something about you financially. It would have said something about you. I mean, all these people had come for this event. It was an expectation. I read in some obscure commentary that, that there was a possibility that perhaps you could litigate if somebody would run out of wine at the party, which, you know, that's a whole, wow, yeah. I think, too, Mary was clearly involved. She was clearly involved in some way above just being another guest. So he's also, in, for love of his mother, responding to her worrying about this family. Jesus is responding. I think the other thing we see, it was an inconvenient task, an inconvenient ask. But Jesus was open. I look at that, and I'm like, okay, if that was true for Jesus... How many times has God asked some inconvenient things of me that I wasn't ready for, that I need to be open to? Here's what I think it is. Sometimes God wants us to say yes to the unexpected and the inconvenient. Sometimes God wants us to say yes to the unexpected and the inconvenient. It's a question of openness. Because this is it. So then how do I know the difference? Because there are a lot of unexpected and inconvenient things that I get asked to do. So which, how do I know the difference between the good thing and the right thing? How do I know? The answer sounds simple, but it's not simplistic. I mentioned last week that spiritual life is like a spiritual game of Marco Polo. You're it. You're yelling Marco and you're waiting for God to say Polo so you can follow where he's leading. But you can't hear a thing if your head's underwater. So here's the thing. Spending time with God, developing your relationship with him is keeping your head above the water so that you can hear where he's leading you. That's how you know the difference between the good thing and the right thing. It's because you're in contact with God. You're listening for where he's leading you. That sounds like such a simple answer. I know, it, but it's really not. I, I mean, it is, but it isn't. We know the difference from listening and being open to his voice. And again, if you read uh, John 2.11 again, here's the other filter. So it's not just that God sometimes asks us for the unexpected and the inconvenient. Here's the filter to know that it's something that's that's coming from God, is that it's going to reveal Christ's glory in some way, shape, or form. And by the way, that, you, that may sound very specific. It's not. There are a lot of things that reveal the glory of God. And it's going to lead to greater faith in you or in somebody else. That's what was the result, direct result of this miracle. Glorifying Jesus Christ, greater faith in him. That Jesus says yes to. Now I want to share with you another time. When God asked Jesus to do something. And this time. Jesus flat out doesn't want to do it. Which again. I think says so much. About how we can learn from Jesus example. Just because he was the son of God. Didn't mean his flesh didn't have reactions. Human reactions. To the things that came across his path. This is as Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's arrested. 
This is Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. What does that that even mean? He is hurting, profoundly hurting. His soul is in torment. He knows he needs to pray, and he needs people praying for him. We don't always like to see or to really think about this part of Jesus' life, because I feel like it's like the way I like to buy ground beef. I like it covered in cellophane. I, I don't like it messy. I want it nicely packaged and I can go buy it. I feel like that's the same with us and Jesus. We want the nicely packaged Jesus because it's easier for us somehow than to look at, well, it was kind of messy. It was messy for him too. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Literally, what's he praying there? If it's possible, God, I don't want to do this. I know what I'm about to go through. I don't want to do it. Is there another way? I'm about to endure the shame of the cross. I'm about to endure torture. I'm about to leave this earth with all the people that I love. If it's possible, I don't want to do it. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. What does that mean? Despite however I'm feeling, God, I want what you want. And if that means I go through with this, so be it. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You almost feel Jesus, I think maybe perhaps he's even projecting his torment onto them, just saying, what are you doing? This is not a time for sleeping. You've got to pray. You might fall into temptation. And he's feeling that. I might fall into temptation. I've got to be on my knees before the Lord, before my Father. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. I think in this moment we learn sometimes God wants us to say yes to what we least want to do. He wants us to say yes to what we least want to do. And sometimes when we say yes to that thing, it's what matters most isn't always going to be the exciting, the fun, or the challenge-free thing. So then you might think, okay, well then, why, why are we doing it? Like, what's the payoff? This stuff all seems kind of hard. 
So I need to be listening to God to know the difference between the good thing and the right thing. And sometimes the right thing isn't the thing I want to do at all. Sometimes it comes at the time that I don't want. And sometimes it comes and I'm just like, can you please pick somebody else? You ever feel like that before? God, can you just, you know, for now, kind of doing my thing. Do you mind picking them? Like, then you go to that person, you're like, I feel like the Lord wants you to say yes to them. Just kidding. Just kidding. By the way, if somebody ever says they feel like the Lord is saying something for you, just be careful. It's like, I don't know. I was expecting to hear something myself. But, but here's the thing. This is the payoff. This is the what's in it for me. Even though we all know we shouldn't think that way, we think that way. Here it is. Saying yes to what God has over anything else is always worth it. God is batting a thousand on the always worth it meter. Why is that? Think about it this way. Our lives, so many people go through life and they're like, I'm going to do whatever it is that I think is going to make me happy. And usually that falls into several categories. What kind of job? What kind of relationship? What kind of house? What kind of car? What kind of lifestyle? And it's like we're chasing after all of those things. We think, which one of those things is going to make me happy next? Well, I'm going to get married. That'll do it. Going to have a baby. That'll do it. Going to get another house. We're going to remodel. Going to get a new car. Get a sweet new iPhone. Whatever it is. The thing is, happiness is flawed. Happiness is like a warm bath. Happiness lasts for the rush of a few moments, and it's gone the next day. And then we wonder, why aren't we happy yet? I have the job that I want. I have the relationship that I want. I have the kids. I have a life. I have all these things that I want. Why am I still not happy? Because that is not what's going to do it for you. Those things in and of themselves are not going to do it. They will always leave you short. Not that those things are bad things. Does God want you to have stuff? Of course he wants you to have stuff. That's fine. It's just those things aren't the things that are going to make you happy. I don't care how fulfilling you think your job is. It's never going to give you what you really need. What you really need is a relationship with God. And so listen, even when God is asking things of you, And it's sometimes inconvenient to what you want, or it's something that you don't want. But you say yes to that thing. You're going to experience more joy and purpose and life than you ever would without it. That's the payoff. The payoff is is that no no matter whatever happens, you are right where God wants you. And you know it. Think about how different your life would feel. If you knew that you were exactly where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to be doing, to live out your purpose that God has for you. Our self-esteem is so wrapped up in those things that make us happy. But God-esteem is there no matter what other things are going on in your life. God's joy, God's purpose, God's fulfillment is something that never leaves you. Even when you go through shattered, broken situations, when you go through the hardest things you ever go through in your life, you still have this baseline of joy 
that changes everything. Because you're spending time with God. It is always worth it. God's love language is time spent. We, I, we might have a lot of regrets in our life. You will never regret spending time with God, ever. You, I'm, you won't. I can't promise a whole lot of things for sure, for sure. I can promise you that. That won't be a regret. What if we had the confidence to live the right path that God has for us? It might change everything. So that's what I pray for all of us. We'll let the Lord teach us how to make good time to say yes to what matters most. Amen. Amen.